You are now listening to the March 11th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Psalms, This Is My Song, Sermon, and Equipping the Saints. First, let's begin with Psalms, This Is My Song. Hello, this is Terry with Psalms, This Is My Song, a time in which we confess our hearts to the Lord. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, a new spiritual life is now available to all who believe. Since we begin our spiritual lives, the moment we put our faith in Christ, we may not fully realize how difficult it is for one person to come to God. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came into the world, the only way to come before God was by giving of a sacrifice. The individual coming before God had to bring their sacrificial offering themselves, kill the sacrifice on the altar with their own hands, and spill the blood. Specific laws were given by God that required Levites and priests to bring the prepared flesh and blood from the sacrifice. Only when the scent of the sacrifice prepared this way reached God, the person was able to be cleansed of their sins and have a peaceful relationship with God. But even so, the person was not able to enter the inner sanctuary where the presence of God dwelt. Only the high priest was allowed to enter the inner sanctuary once a year. So, it is not merely hard for a person to enter the inner sanctuary where God's presence dwelt, it was impossible for him to enter at all. People who were not Jewish were not even allowed to enter the temple of God. Through all these difficulties and impossibilities, Jesus himself became the way for us. He became the way for us to go to God. Perhaps since we are able to come into the presence of God through Jesus, we could be in danger of forgetting how difficult and impossible a matter is to come into the presence of God. Though we are able to go to God so easily now, the process of being able to do so for us was not easy. Jesus was whipped for us. He had to endure pain, shame, and being spat on. He had to wear a crown made of thorns, and his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. He spilled blood and water on the cross, but still pleaded to God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is why we are able to go to God any time without having to give a sacrifice. When you come to God, are you coming to Him with joy and thanksgiving? Are you going to Him remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and the grace of God that made a way for our sins to be forgiven? Psalm 130 is a song of ascents into the temple. It is a song of confession that expresses how a sinner's heart must be when coming to God. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. These are verses 1-4 through four from Psalms chapter 130. The writer cried out to God because of his sins. He cried out to God to forgive his sins while he was approaching God. He confessed to God that he does not dare face God because God knows all his sins. But despite his sins, he confessed he was sending to the temple because of God's grace that forgives sins of those who confess them. When we read Psalms chapter 130, 
Though the writer was burdened by his sin, I am sure we can feel his sincere heart of ascending to the temple to have his sins forgiven. Can you feel his heart of longing for the Lord more than the night guard longing for the sunrise? During the pandemic, we were not able to meet together and worship God in person. We realize now how grateful and thankful it is to be able to worship in person and together. Just as the heart of the writer of today's psalm, I hope we will all seek and go to meet God each and every moment. I hope we will all remember Jesus' sacrifice, which became the way to God and walk that path. I'll conclude today's psalm, This Is My Song, by reading Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Cavalry Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Three Great Attitudes Toward the Word of God. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. We are studying in the Word. We're studying the book of Acts. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Just to summarize what's happening before verse 10, in verses 1 through 9, Paul went and Silas went to Thessalonica, and they preached the word there, but there was a whole lot of opposition against them from from, uh, some of the Jews. I mean, it got so bad that they had to flee, and they were rushed out of town so that they weren't killed. Plot was kind of set up that was seemed like a perfect plot to have them executed, and this by the hand of the Lord they escaped that. Um, but before we move on, I'm going to ask you you don't have to say out loud unless you know you're right. Do we think there was a church planted in Thessalonica? Yes, yes. Why? Well, one of the reasons when you look carefully, well, one reason is there's a book in the Bible, two letters that are written to who? The first and second Thessalonians, I guess, yeah, that's true. And also when it says in verse verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. The brothers refer to Christians. So uh, there there was a church that began there, and it was in Jason's house, if you read the incident here. Jason's house is where they met, at least for a while, and um, away went uh, Paul and Silas to Berea. I want to say this, though, about Paul having to leave Thessalonica so soon. Um, He had to be heartbroken that this happened, because from what we surmise, He was only there less than a month. And so you're starting a church. I know we've started, what, two churches? Um, And as we've watched them grow, that's been our heart to disciple these people. And if we were having to be torn away from them, be terrible. I mean, we're talking about some of them. They weren't all three-week-old believers even, right? I mean, some of them might be saved just a couple days before Paul and Silas were running out of town. And so Paul had to do a lot of teaching. And apparently, he taught them a lot. A lot of things that people today think, oh, that's not important or that's controversial. Like, how do we know that? Because when we read the letters that he writes back to the Thessalonian Christians, in First and Second Thessalonians, you find out, first of all, that he's writing to them, and throughout the letter, he's comforting them and encouraging them in their persecution. This church was super persecuted after Paul left. So Paul's encouraging them in the letter. You'll ask, also see Paul exhorting them to godly living. Hey, keep pressing on, serving God, living like you ought to as a Christian. And then there is a question that comes up about the last day events. A question comes up about the rapture and the second coming of Christ. 
And what happened, I, I know we're not studying uh, the books of Thessalonians, but what had happened was somebody had sent a false letter, a fake letter signed by Paul, quote-unquote Paul, and it was saying that the rapture had already taken place. Well, they were devastated when they read it because they had been taught by Paul that there would be events. No, they had been taught by Paul that there would be a rapture first, and they were told that, no, the Lord has already turned and returned. So Paul was teaching them that, no, there's the dead, they'll be, they'll raise, there'll be um, a, the trumpet sound and all. So this is a, a point of scripture that Paul is carefully teaching them that people don't talk about today. And he talks about the Antichrist, where the Antichrist will come from. He talks about the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. There'll be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem where the Antichrist will be. We talked about all this stuff that we don't talk about in churches because it's not popular. People don't talk about that. And I'm thinking, well, we have a whole issue that Paul addresses to these Christians, and apparently he taught them some deep doctrinal things. And I think that's really good because doctrine, teaching, it is what we build our lives on, and it's that solid foundation, right? So Paul responds to their letters, and um, let's look at verse 10 again. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So they went away by night to Berea. The fact that they were traveling at night shows how serious and how dangerous the situation they were in, because nobody, generally nobody, traveled by night. So Paul, Silas, and the group that were with them arrive, and Paul uh, follows this familiar evangelistic strategy. It says, they arrived and they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, for there to be a synagogue, there had to be a Jewish community large enough to support it. So now our narrator, Luke, that's who's telling us all of these incidents. Luke noticed a difference between the people of Thessalonica and the people of Berea. Luke says, look, verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Luke is impressed by something. He see, I see three things that impressed Luke. Three things that were different from the church in Thessalonica. He said, These Jews were more noble, he says, because, here's the first thing, they received the word with all eagerness, right? Second thing, they examined the scriptures daily. Third, to see if these things were so. So, Luke observed people in Berea having three great attitudes toward the words of God. And let's see if we have those three great attitudes as well towards the word. First, what I see, it says they were open to God's word. If you want to write that down, they were open to God's word. It says they received, verse 11, they received the word with 
eagerness. They received the word. They were more noble than the Jews of Thessalonica. The noble can mean like of noble birth or can refer to an attitude. And he says, that he's saying the Jews in Thessalonica were prejudiced, but these Jews were noble-minded. It could be translated more open-minded or more ready to learn, more receptive, more willing to hear. That makes all the difference, right? When you have somebody who is open to hear the word of God, or they're ready, they're receptive. And so Paul was sharing the word with them, and that made all the difference. Would this describe your attitude towards God's word? Are you open-minded? Are you ready to learn? Are you uh, willing to hear more? Secondly, it says, you see what it says next? It says they were what? You see it? They were, verse 11, they received the word of all eagerness, and then it says they were what? Examining the scriptures, how often? Daily. Great. Daily. They were examining the scripture. The word for examining, listen to this. It means to sift upside and downside. To shake it out. It actually was most commonly used as a, as a term for preparing a legal document where you have to be very careful that everything is stated just right. You have to read all the fine print. I mean, who reads all the fine print on every document you sign? Most of us do not. Come on. You go to the doctor, and they say, here, just initial. You know, a lot of us, it's just, okay, just, I'm going to get through this and see the doctor. I've got a sore throat. You know, so we, who knows? I've signed my house away at the doctor's office. But this is the fine print stuff. So they examined the scriptures, how often again, gang? Daily, daily. Now, in order to know the word and to be able to integrate our lives with our spiritual walk, we've got to know the word. And in order to know the word, we must, what? Be in the word. You say, yeah, duh. I know, it's true. But it's so, so common to forget that. To know God's word, you've got to be in God's word. You've got to be in it daily. You've got to have a regular time when you read the word of God. Now, you can listen to God's word. You've got all sorts of apps on your phone seeing, hearing, maybe even reading a smaller portion of the Bible out loud is great. It was meant to be read out loud, by the way, because not everybody had Bibles like we do. There'd be like one letter and be passed all the way around, Paul's letter, it'd be passed around, and it was read out loud to everybody. So a lot of the stuff, so read it out loud sometimes. That's a whole different thing. Things, you'll, you'll hear things that you've never thought of before. Where should you start? Good question. Gideon Bibles. It's great to have them in the hotel room, but they're confusing, aren't they? Because there's no no map. 
And so people start reading with Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and then all of a sudden it gets to all these begats. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And at that point, you lost me. You lost me. And then maybe you open the Bible to some other place, and it's the book of Leviticus, and it's talking about slaughtering sheep and taking the, the liver of an animal and putting it here and sprinkling blood on that. And you think, what in the world? So then you flip over to something. And so you're not getting a good place to start. I think where you ought to begin, if this is like you're going to be seriously in the word daily, and it's the new practice for you, I would start with a, one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Maybe... Matthew and John. John has a lot of things that the other three Gospels don't. So that's all about Jesus. We want to get to know Jesus. Hey, Matt? I want to know Jesus. And then I would read, after I read that, I would read Acts, because that's the continuation of the story after Jesus' resurrection, the book of Acts, like we're reading. And then you can read through the letters that Paul has written in the, in the, um, in the New Testament. Maybe, maybe go around the book of Hebrews. I don't know. Hebrews might be tough for you because you didn't read Leviticus. <laughs> Start with the gospel. Read on to the letters. Read a psalm a day. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 30 chapters of Proverbs, 31. And so there are, you know, there's one for every day of the month. And just start over reading again. Read from a translation that makes them make sense, like the New Living Translation. When I read Proverbs out of other translations, I'm kind of going, what? I read it out of the New Living Translation. It's like, oh, I get it. Read your Psalms every day. Like, I don't know what to read today. Then go to Psalms. What's the date right now? What is it? What's the date? 13. So I'm going to read Psalm 13. 13. 23. 33. 43. I mean, then you can go 30 after that. Read the, that one. And they can go 30 more if you want. You know, skip to the 30th, the 30th, and keep going. So you've always got a place to start, an anchor place. Your psalm, your proverb, then the gospel or the letter of Paul that you're reading. Now, I'll do this. Sometimes you read to cover ground. Sometimes you read and you just soak in one place. I do both. Sometimes God just speaks to me the very first verse I read, and it's like, amen, that's what I need today. And you just know it's from God. And there are many blessings that we miss, I believe, through a day because we didn't read the word of God, which would have prepared us what we're going to face for that day. Does it all make sense? Okay, great. Just want to encourage you. And then the third thing that Luke says, this is great. He says, I love their attitude, was that they were verifying with the word. And it says they were reading the word daily to see if these things were so. They were verifying with the word of God. Luke liked this. They weren't just believing what Paul was saying. I mean, we know 
come on, you know, he wrote, you know, like all these, all this in the New Testament. We know you should trust him, but they didn't know that. And so they went back to the scriptures to look at the scriptures. And God wants us to be discerning. That's a good word. He wants us to be discerning. He wants us to see if things are so. And this may sound very basic again, but you cannot be discerning unless you know what is right and wrong. Correct? How can you discern if you don't know what it and what is wrong? Now, where do you learn what is right or what is wrong? Where? In the Word. This tells me what's right. This tells me what's wrong. Let's turn to the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, that you're going to beat us, uh, page 996. 2 Timothy, and we're going to um, look at chapter 3, 996. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You probably told you over and over that when you find one New Testament book that starts with a T, they're all clustered together, which make, that's about the only thing that's easy to find in the New Testament. So verses 16 and 17, I would like us to all read it out loud, okay? I don't care your translation. Let's just read it aloud. Is everybody just about there? Okay, here we go. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every good work. It just chokes me up. (laughs) All scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired, as some of your scripture says, means to be breathed out by God. If you're going to say a word, breath is going out, right? God said, let there be light. His word, his breath caused light. I mean, all the, everything in the universe just stopped and did what God said. Let there be light. So God spoke the scriptures. What we have here in the scriptures is the very words of God. The message translates this, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. And through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. The reason why we're committed, let's go back to Acts 17. The reason why we're committed to the expository method of teaching the Bible is because we believe that it best represents what God has breathed out, okay? You take the verse, book by book, you take it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you explain the words of God. God's revealed himself in the book. And when you read the Bible, you guys, you're actually reading the very words of God. These very words, God speaks to us. If you could turn it on, And God begins to speak. It would be amazing. 
but he speaks to you and the Holy Spirit inspires the word of God and the Holy Spirit is with you as you're reading, reading the word of God. Like, Lord, please help me understand your word as I'm opening the Bible right now. I need your help. I want you to speak to me. Thank you, Lord. And then you open the word. Do you think that's a prayer God is going to answer? Amen, for sure. That's why, because we believe these are the very words of God, that's why we're bound to be obedient to everything in this book. Amen? Amen. Everything. We're bound to be in submission to it because it is the ultimate authority. The Bible is the authority over everything else in our lives. Now, the Bible has to be correctly interpreted. We need to understand there's progressive revelation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Things were setting people up for the arrival of the Messiah. No, we're not offering sacrifices and lambs and all that anymore. Why? Well, all of that was pointing toward the Messiah who would be the Lamb of God. So, don't let people take you back to the old system because the, new co- the Bible says we're in a new covenant. That was the old covenant. And then we go verse by verse. I've got to tell you something. False teachers, people in cults, never will take a, they will take a verse and another verse and another verse from someplace else, they will string them together and say, this is what God says. They will never take an entire book of the Bible and explain it or the chapter that verse came out of. Because that verse in its context generally does not mean what they say it means. Context, context, context. It's always important that you read above and below a verse so you know its context above it and below it that way we won't be deceived the um the church cult that leslie and i came out of we never ever had a verse by verse teaching through the bible right never ever because our doctrines wouldn't stand instead we take one doctrine over here another doctrine over there and we would uh, Sewing together, and we people would be deceived, thinking, oh, and we'd say, see, the Bible says, the Bible says. And you'd have to say, yeah, the Bible does say that. But not that in context, not what you're meaning in context. Have I driven this into the ground? Yeah, you say, we get it, Pastor Mark. Okay, the, the reason why this is so important is We're not going to know the word unless we're in the word. And we can't be discerning unless we have something to measure what we hear with. And do you know what a square is that is used in construction? If you do, raise your hand. Okay. Apparently, most contractors don't. I have contractors that are my friends, and I love them dearly, and they're laughing. They know what I mean. But a square, if one wall is off, 
All the walls are off. Now, we don't put up wallpaper much anymore. It's kind of coming back. But you know when you did, some of you, that when you went to put it up, you saw, oh, my wall isn't straight. It leans out, my wall. Or you go to paint, or you go to do some woodwork, and you realize this is all out of square. It's out of kilter. I want to hang this painting. Well, what is right? The ceiling or the floor? Or the sidewalls. What is right? What do I, how do I set this painting? Oh, it's either going to look good with the ceiling or with the side. You know what I'm saying? Doctrinally, gang, we've got to have a square, and this word is our square. Amen? This is our square. This is how we know the truth. In order to know the truth, we've got to be in the word of truth. Now, this is important because John... The Apostle John in 2 John says, For many deceivers have gone into the world. And that was AD 90. For many deceivers have gone into the world. And then Peter, Peter said, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So Peter warns us, they will be, there will be some that will come up from the church that will bring along destructive heresies. Sadly, you're back in Acts 17, right? Just turn a couple pages and go to um, Acts 20. And Paul is speaking to the elders of the church in Acts 20, verse 28. He says... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas, seers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now listen, talking to elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from amongst your own selves will arise men speaking twisted thing to draw away the disciples after them. Right from the beginning, people deceiving other people, and primarily it's because they just didn't know the word of God. They were like lambs to the slaughter. Being in the word, you look at the word and you're going, oh wow, I've never seen this before. Have you ever had that moment when you're reading the Bible and or somebody's teaching something and, and you realize, ah, I've never seen that before. Ever have that moment? Let me see. It's like the, the coolest thing. Truly, it's like the light goes on. You're kidding me. How many times has I read this page and I never saw it before? Ever. With, with Leslie's teaching, often I'll plagiarize. I mean, I'll read her notes. <laughs> Or I'll hear her teach. And she, she explains something. I'm like, duh. I never thought of that. I never thought, this is amazing. I'm going to write it down, make it sound like me, and teach it Sunday. <laughs> so these believers are verifying what Paul was saying. Now they weren't, look, you don't want to get to the point that you don't trust anybody. You know what I'm saying? You can get to the point like, ah, you know, you know, I'm not going to trust these teachers at Calvary. I'm not going to trust, you know. Well, look, track record matters, all right? 
sound doctrine matters. And we need teachers. Jesus gave to the church as gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm a gift of Jesus. Just like an evangelist would be a gift of Jesus to the church. So I have my place, but I need to be a sound teacher. And in your spirit, you can tell if what I'm teaching is right or wrong. And you know what? A good teacher, if they make a mistake, they're going to come back and say, oh, you know what? I taught this wrong. I've taught this wrong for years. I want to teach this differently. Sorry. And if you go to the church, what you want to see is this book up front. You want to see the book up front. Now, I know technology allows us to all have our Bible here. And I have all the verses we look at. They are on my screen right here. But I always have my Bible open because it is my authority. And I want it to be seen as the authority in the church and as the place that we get our teaching from and our encouragement from and even our fun from, right? It's from the word of God. And as a result of all of this, look at verse 12. Many, oh, go back to 1712. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of highest standing as well as men. That's amazing, isn't it? I'm not going to go to the end of it because it gets to be a bummer, and we're not going to end on a bummer, okay? But right at this point, these people were open to the scripture. These people received the scripture. These people used the scripture to verify things. And they believed. Because, you know, the message of the gospel has no, no worry about being investigated because it's all right here in the book. So, what do we do? We're leaving. What do we do? Well, I think one thing we can do is, listen, I'm not going to make you promise anything because we make promises and when we break them, then we feel guilty. And I don't want the Bible, I don't want reading the Bible being a matter of guilt for anybody. I don't want us to ever have to say, I have to read the Bible. I want to say, I want to get, read the Bible. Did I say, I have to read the Bible? I want to say, I want to read the Bible, right? So this is what I want to encourage us to do this week. This week, let us all, those of you online, let us all determine to read the Bible every day this week. Let's be determined to do that, to read the Bible every day this week. How about that? Okay, that's one way we respond. Secondly, if there has been any place in the message where you feel like the Holy Spirit's been knocking on, on you and saying, you know, on your heart, and, and saying, you know what, I think you're not spiritually integrated. You need to move these... Get rid of your boxes. 
and you need to let your spiritual walk be a walk that is through your entire life. Hey, if there's, there's an issue you need to address, I want you to go to the Lord and ask him to help you move toward changing that in your life. And you ask him for the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will begin working in your life. Okay, so you do that too. These two things as we leave. Be determined now to read the word of God every single day. I told you things you can do. And secondly, act on what God may have spoken to you. All right? So let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks, for how it really is alive. It's, it is the, your voice to us. We want to submit to it, and we want to delight in it. We want to have fun with it. We're so thankful that you have chosen us to be in this room at this place, to hear this message wherever we are, and to be encouraged and challenged in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You 
are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-866-8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. following program is called Equipping the Saints. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundstedt, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. And they have barely escaped that through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're just barely there. They've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but their walk is not much of a walk. They've been forgiven, but they've barely escaped. Well, there will be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies. Look in chapter 3 here in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, You therefore, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Yes, they attack those who are vulnerable, but any one of us can fall. Take heed, you who stand, lest you fall. They entice unstable souls. They come to those who have barely escaped the ones who live in air. Barely escaped. False teachers go after weak Immature, sin-laden Christians. And guess what the biggest weakness in a Christian is? Pride. Whether it's spiritual pride, whatever it might be. They go after weak Christians. Brothers and sisters, this is a warning. Don't fiddle with sin. If you've got a worry problem, confess. If you've got an anger or irritation problem towards someone, confess it. Confess your sin and grow up in Jesus so that you are taken captive by your own desires. Someone will come along because you're not going to be able to endure. And you're going to want to hear something else that will tickle your ears. Now notice they speak expanded words of emptiness, luring by fleshy desires of sensuality, but also they promise, verse 19, spiritual freedom in the context in Christ. Look at verse 19. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. The contrast, which makes us understand what the freedom is, it's freedom from sin. Because the contrast is, they promise you freedom from sin, but they are slaves to it. Promising them freedom. They deceptively promise freedom in Christ. What they teach you is going to make your walk with Jesus wonderful. You're going to be free from these areas of sin that you've been in bondage to. They promise 
freedom, through their methods, whatever it might be. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. The term corruption means that which destroys. They are slaves to sin. Internally, they're slaves to sin, and they are promising you freedom in Jesus. Remember earlier, we saw they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sinning. Verse 14. They have their own brand of sensuality. Verse 2. They love the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 15. They have hearts trained in greed. Verse 14. They promise you freedom. They say the things that relate to freedom in Christ. But yet they are enslaved to sin. What they promise they cannot deliver because they're empty words. They're molded words. Notice middle of verse 19. For by what a man is overcome by this he's enslaved. The term overcome means conquered. They have been completely, the tense is completely conquered by sin. They are enslaved. They're not saved, as we're going to see. They are not free. And yet they promise freedom from sin in the name, as we will see, Jesus. But what they promise is not true. Scary to say. We need to recognize there are men who don't teach God's word rightly divided, and they bring their own empty words in the name of Jesus, luring by fleshly desires. They twist and omit the word of God, yet they promise freedom. They say biblical stuff. And God shares these things we need to recognize so that we stay away. They are springs without water. Their very nature is hypocrisy. They promise what they do not have. They're hypocrites. They promise freedom from sin. And they don't have freedom themselves. These are how we can spot these things. And we have no excuse at this point having heard the message. We can spot this when it arises, and it is given for our benefit so that we would not get taken captive and fall from our own steadfastness. But if you've got unconfessed sin, whether it's an attitude towards someone, worry, lack of contentment, unforgiveness, whatever it might be, maybe you're sinfully neglecting the Word of God and His people, then you are in danger. Get your heart right with the Lord. Keep confessing sin, walking rightly with Him. The next time you hear a message that appeals to your flesh or your ego, rather than by the Spirit convicting you, correcting, training you, get out of there. It may be saying Jesus stuff and freedom in Jesus and forgiveness and all this stuff, but it's aimed at your flesh. And it doesn't feed you at all. It is a spring without water. So God has exposed their methods, springs without water. And lastly, God exposes their true state What's really going on underneath? What has happened to these people? How they got to where they are and where they are going. Look at verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is an amazing statement, by the way. For if after they escape the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled again in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Although they deceptively promise freedom with their words that are empty and large, 
The reality is they themselves have turned from Jesus. Four, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are conquered or overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. This is a sobering statement. It speaks of apostasy. It speaks for turning away from the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not having been saved, but turning away from that which could save you and becoming that much worse. You see, they have had the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? They know it. They know the truth of the church. They know the truth. They have the knowledge of it. And they have appeared to escape to the finals of the world. By the way, if you come here and you are not saved and you learn about Jesus, you learn about what he expects, and you do those things on your own, you will slightly escape the way you used to live. But it's all on the outside. There are many people who come to church and understand the truth of Jesus and are not saved and live differently because of the influence they hear in regards to Jesus. But it's not a genuine saving faith. They've appeared to escape the defilements, the sin that defiles on non-believers by the knowledge of Jesus. Yet when you see someone who actually comes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven, we are changed, we are delivered and transformed. But these who come to an understanding of Jesus but never trust him, they understand him as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They follow a structure that resembles those who have come to faith in Jesus. It makes it appear as though they've escaped through the violence of the world. There are people who, through the understanding, have a temporal restraint from sin, but they're not saved. But they know the truth. Some of you here today are like that. You have knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know he's Lord, you know he's the Savior, you know that he is the only Savior from sin, yet you haven't trusted him. You're in a dangerous position. You need to turn to Christ and be forgiven of your sin, humble yourself. Because as we're going to see here, these people, they understood, but they turned. They turned away from Jesus. He says, if this happens, and then the middle of verse 20, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, conquered... Their last state has become worse for them than the first. You see, if you're truly not saved, you're going to get entangled in sin again. Now, it may be covered. It may be all internal, like these false teachers. Theirs is all internal, by the way. You can't see it except for their methods, right? And if that happens, your last state will be worse than your first. What does he mean by that? Your first state, when you weren't saved, you were culpable for your sins. And speaking of judgment. But once you know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you don't come to him, and you appear to as have come to him, you turn away from that, your last state is much worse. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. You see, Jesus gives this example to the Jews who were idolaters before they were exiled. They were idolaters, they were continually sinning, there was a remnant, but they were continually sinning, and God put them to Babylon, and then also he removed them. And then when they came back, guess what? When you look at them back in the land before Jesus came, they were no longer idolaters. They were pretty righteous, actually very self-righteous. They cleaned up the sin, but they didn't come to Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. This is an illustration the Lord Jesus gives us. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it does not find it. 
Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will be with this evil generation. And in principle, when you know the truth of Jesus Christ and you do not trust in Jesus Christ, your last state will be worse than your first state before you knew of him. It's a very serious thing. Notice what he says in verse 21. We have an explanation back in 2 Peter 2. 4. It would have been better for them not to know the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. How is one righteous? We receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, and they understood that. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are enabled to walk in a righteous way when we trust in him and his word abides in us. We're able to do so. They knew the way of righteousness. It would have been better if they never known that than having known it and then look at apostatized to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. They had the knowledge of the way of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they turned away from the holy commandment delivered to them. The holy commandment speaks of God's word. We don't know exactly which portion he's speaking of here, but I believe it certainly speaks of the gospel in relationship to them. And it was delivered to them. They had the word of God, and you've had that here. You've had it delivered. You've heard the holy commandment. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The faith once for all delivered to all the saints. So ultimately, they turned away in their hearts, these false teachers, not externally because they're pretending to follow Jesus. In their hearts, they turned away from God's word, which was delivered to them, that which brought the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior and the way of righteousness. Coming to church and not being saved should make you feel more and more convicted each week of your sin, not better and better about yourself. Two last passages I want to look at. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. In the church that the Hebrews were involved, they had those in there who were naming the name of Christ but really hadn't come to faith. And there are warnings throughout the book that they need to turn and trust the Lord because it might be too late if you don't, if you turn away. You may not be able to turn back. If you've known the truth and you turn away from the truth, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep spiritual trouble. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't receive the Spirit internally. They didn't get saved. But the Word of God has convicted them. They've partaken of that. And have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come. They've seen true believers in the body of Christ. And then have what? Fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. For the ground that drinks rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation, is useful for those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and is close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this way. If you know the truth and you turn away from it, you are in a dangerous place where you may never be able to come back. Only the Lord knows that. Turn one last passage, Hebrews chapter 10. He talks about that we should not be forsaking our assembling together. If if we're not wanting to be around one another, there's something wrong. Verse 25, Hebrews 10, not forsaking our assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 4, verse 26, 
If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you know the truth and you just go willfully and sin willy-nilly and you don't care, that sacrifice that was for you really wasn't because you never trusted in Christ. He says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer, unless the word punishment, do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? You turn away from Jesus, you know the truth. How much severe punishment? He says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Your last state will be worse than the first. These false teachers have turned away from Jesus, and they now use Jesus as a means to fulfill their own greed. They use the church. And notice this final portion. There's an illustration. Peter shares a proverb and a truism. Verse 22. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, back in Second Peter 2, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. We have a quote of Proverbs 26.11. It happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. Now, I love my dog, but he is an animal. And I walked in one day, and he had thrown up, and he was eating it. These are those who appear to be delivered from sin, but they really weren't. And they returned to that wickedness, and their judgment is much worse. And notice this truism, a sow after washing returns to wallowing the mire. By the nature of the animal it is... It just goes back to the mud, you see? And by the nature of someone who truly hasn't come to faith, when they get cleaned up, they go back to it. But with these false teachers, it's hidden. It's all on the inside. But you can see their methods. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. So how can we be protected from those false teachers who will inevitably rise in the church? whether it's in churches, whether it's on the radio, whether it's on TV, how can we be protected? First of all, we need to listen to what God has said. We need to understand what he says about them internally. Then we need to understand their methods. They are springs without water. And lastly, we need to be on our guard. I want to close, turn to the last verses of Second Peter 3. I want to close with this. Second Peter 3, 15. In regard to patience of our Lord to be salvation, he's saying basically, since God hasn't zapped everybody with judgment, regard that as he's still saving people. He's patient, right? Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things which in some things are hard to understand, which, notice what he says here, the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. They take the word of God, they twist it, they distort it. And he says, you therefore, and this is to all of us, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
You all know this now, right? Beforehand, he says, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
we are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.